you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS in Pasadena for a morning of multilingual readings, interactive performances, and lots of kid fun. It's Super Fun Saturday on June 1st. Get your tickets at LAS.com slash events. If you're listening to this special episode of The Big One, you probably felt the earthquakes that happened over the 4th of July weekend. If not you at least heard about it. A powerful 7.1 magnitude earthquake has hit Southern California, sending terrified residents out onto the streets. That quake caused some damage in Ridgecrest. Homes shifted, foundations cracked. There were multiple fires there. Some injuries were reported, but there have been many, many aftershocks since then. Now a a larger earthquake. Dr. Lucy Jones is saying this is not along the Santa An earthquake struck in Ridgecrest, California at 10.33 in the morning. It was a 6.4. And then the next day, another one, 7.1, a major one. And then a 4.6, a 5.0, a 5.4, a 4.1, another 4.5, a 4.0, a 4.3. And since that first quake and you listening to this episode, there have been thousands of quakes. It's the first time in 20 years an earthquake this big hit in Southern California. All the bottles were swaying, like the liquor in them. And then once the first bottle fell, that's when I realized, like, it was actually a huge thing that was happening. And fires broke out. Gas lines broke. The ceiling inside of our fellowship hall had caved in. Um, 6,000 people lost power. We have approximately 25 patients that need to be transferred to other facilities. We will be doing that through helicopters or through a ground ambulance. This is a special episode of The Big One, Your Survival Guide. I'm Misha Youssef, lead producer on The Big One. During the 7.1 earthquake, I was in Highland Park in L.A. at a bar in a brick building behind a restaurant. I'm not sure if you've ever been in an earthquake, so this is how it felt. Like the ground started to roll slowly for a really long time. Like I was on a boat. People around me, most of them just started running. 100% not the right thing to do. Not a single person in the restaurant got under a table. I tried to get under the little bar table, like I told you all to do in this podcast. But I couldn't, because it was so small, and people started laughing. Two girls got in the doorway of the brick building. Do not get in a doorway. That's a myth, people. I told them not to do that, but they looked at me like I was insane. Like, who are you to tell us what to do? I realized I'd left my phone at home, and my partner's phone was at 6%. So if something really bad happened, we couldn't tell anybody. I did have a full tank of gas in my car, though. Here's the crazy thing. I was one of 30 million people who felt something. 30 million. Our whole newsroom went into action. And Kimberly, you said you live in Trona, correct? Yes, I live in Trona. And so tell me, uh, I guess, when this when this experience began for you, I would assume it was probably July 4th there in Trona. Yes, July 4th at about 10.15 in the morning. Um, my house just started shaking, and we had to grab our kids and find sh- shelter for them, and they were freaking out. And it's just, it was so scary. I've never been 
an earthquake like this and it just keeps going and going and we just wanted to stop. So I grabbed her and run and I didn't even have time to get to the front door. What did you do instead then? Duck or what did you? Oh, well, I didn't know the floor was coming up. Who expects concrete to move up? No one, yeah. That's it's a deep, deep rumble and it keeps coming at you like a freight train from a distance away and it's coming at you and you can hear it. We were standing there waiting, you know, for... And then the big one hit, and we all hit the ground. We all had to get down onto the ground because the vehicles, the building, everything was shaking so badly, and we couldn't stand. I felt these quakes in L.A., but they were centered in Ridgecrest and Trona. I'd never even heard of these towns before these quakes. They're about 100 miles east of L.A., Around 24,000 people live in Ridgecrest, and less than 2,000 people live in Trona. To give you a sense of what this place looks like, this is where they film those sci-fi scenes in films when they want you to think that they're on Mars. It's really close to Death Valley. Remote. All of this is to say, if these earthquakes had happened right under me at the restaurant in Highland Park, there would have been a lot more damage and a lot more people hurt. People had a lot of questions about these earthquakes, and they asked us. So, of course, I met up with hometown hero seismologist Lucy Jones to get answers. Okay. So why are there so many quakes happening now after that 7.1? Ridgecrest earthquakes are on a a fault system called the Little Lake Fault System up on the way to going up to Mammoth. Lucy and other scientists kept telling us an even bigger quake might be coming after a big one. They don't understand that it's not going to be just one big shake, but it's going to be thousands of shakes for months or years. And then it happened. It's one thing to hear a scientist say it and another to feel it. Speaking of which... Why was the second earthquake so much bigger than the first one? Some people have been surprised that it's, we've got, the biggest one isn't the first one. In fact, half of California sequences, the biggest earthquake isn't the first one. There's something smaller that comes before the big one. Does this earthquake happening trigger more earthquakes, kind of like a domino effect? The most likely place for a triggered earthquake is the same place the first one happened. So this quake in Ridgecrest isn't going to set off a quake up in Seattle? They're really, at this point, all confined to right around uh, the fault itself. Sometimes, especially on the biggest ones, we've got another couple fault links. That means another 50 miles. So if you're more than 75 miles away from the earthquake, there is no impact. So one fault can affect an earthquake on another fault. But if you're more than two faults away, like 50 miles apart, then it doesn't really cause an earthquake near you. People wonder about it. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I just heard they had this earthquake in Australia. There's an earthquake in Seattle and there's an earthquake in Montana. Aren't those related? When we've gone to look and put all the data together beyond three fault links, it's just looking random. Remember when Jacob told you in the very first episode of The Big One to picture a map of the state of California and throw a pile of spaghetti at the map? And that would give you some idea of how many faults there are here? Well, there are also faults we don't even know about. So 300 of those pieces of spaghetti, or faults, could generate a 6.0 earthquake or higher. Earthquakes that can do real damage. But they're not necessarily connected. It's more like sticks on the ground than branches of a tree. Some of them touch, some of them don't. 
So a quake happening will probably get our attention, get us thinking about other earthquakes. But we can't assume that they're all connected. It's something we notice. How many Californians would have noticed a Washington magnitude 4 if we hadn't just had our big earthquake? Probably none of very few of us. Okay, okay. But I can't help but ask about the San Andreas Fault, the big one. I know me and a lot of other people wondered, is this it? Luckily, it wasn't. But is the San Andreas a close enough piece of spaghetti that it'll cause the big one, the one we talked about in this podcast? Because this earthquake, the Ridgecrest earthquake, is 100 miles away from the San Andreas Fault, and that's four fault lengths away, we'd basically say no. What she's saying is that earthquakes usually happen within the same fault system. Sometimes they'll bounce one or two faults away, but when you get to three or four faults out, it's much less likely. For example, the San Andreas Fault is too far away from the Little Lake Faults where the Ridgecrest earthquakes happened. Where's the next earthquake going to be? The San Andreas is the single biggest source, but with 300 other faults, the next earthquake's probably not on the San Andreas. She's talking about those faults that could cause a 6.0 or higher. And all I can think is, well, that's just great. A reminder of what the big one will feel like when it hits, and more questions answered after the break. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. Alayist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite L.A. restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAist.com events. One of the things that people kept saying was that a big earthquake happens when a lot of earthquakes are happening. And a lot of earthquakes are happening right now. So does this season of earthquakes, this really active time, indicate that a really big one is coming? There might be a thing that there's sort of a more active time in which your big earthquake's more likely. Will the area become more active before the earthquake? Maybe. Major quakes are often preceded by foreshock, and they're followed by aftershocks. Earthquakes are rarely lone wolves. They come in packs. Um, okay, but is there a pattern that we can decipher to predict these things so I can be ready? We hunt for patterns because it makes us feel better. It makes us feel in control. When we test the patterns with statistics to see if they actually are predicting anything, we, we just don't come up with much. We need to change our attitude about earthquakes. And instead of saying, is it going to happen this year? That's like, am I going to have an automobile accident this year? If I'm not going to have an automobile accident this year, I don't have to wear my seatbelt. Well, no, you don't. You just wear your seatbelt all the time, right? You got to get your sense of control by controlling your environment. 
I get what Lucy is saying. We don't know when the big one will happen, but it will happen. And when it hits, it is going to feel a lot like what we felt on the 5th of July here in L.A. It will start like that, but then, then it's going to get a lot more violent. There will be a queasy feeling, a slow rumble or roll, and then there will be intense shaking. The thing we know is the big one, the one on the San Andreas, will last around 100 seconds. And all big earthquakes last a long time. And even a small one, it may not end when one earthquake stops. Remember, thousands of earthquakes? Aftershocks can be bigger. This leads us to the most common question we get asked. When is it going to happen? We can't predict that exactly, but here's something to pay attention to. How often do you have, does Southern California have a six? The long-term average is about once every three to five years. And of course, we went 20 years without one. That is the longest gap we've had between magnitude sixes in the history of Southern California. If we haven't had a big one in a while, it's an exception, not the rule. And big ones don't only come from the San Andreas Fault. As I've said, there are hundreds of faults in Southern California that can have an earthquake of a magnitude six or bigger. So here's what you can do today. Go talk to somebody you care about or you know. Have you ever talked with your neighbor about it? Have you ever had a discussion at your church or your synagogue or your kid's school so that you're doing some things together? Because it's the strength of our community that's going to make the biggest difference. And make sure you're fully stocked. I just went and got my supplies. And I would really try to encourage people to, to, to focus on what they can do to prevent the losses. So quake hold, a museum putty, all of those things to hook down things you don't want broken. Don't have bookcases that can fall onto your kids' beds. Don't have bookcases that are going to fall on block doorways. If you're a landlord. If you own a building, getting it expected and figuring out what you can do to make it safer. I think one of the most dangerous myths is we have good building codes, so we must have good buildings. Uh, and, of course, for two reasons. One, your building's only as good as the building code in place when it was built. And the fact that our current building code even is don't kill me instead of make sure I can use the building. We talked about this a lot in episode six, the assumption that our buildings are safe. I know we have these ABC ratings in a window for restaurants, but we don't do that for our buildings. We often don't know if the building we're living in or working in or eating in is up to code. And finding out can be really hard, even if it is. If the quake hits, the building will not kill you. The code requires that you can crawl out of the wreckage alive, but that's the best it's asked to do. It's not that the building will stay standing. I know a lot of you listened to this series, thought about getting ready, and then didn't. Don't feel bad. We all need a wake-up call sometimes. I waited until the Ridgecrest earthquakes to get my walkie-talkie and water filters and flashlights. It is not too late. Go to kpcc.org slash the big one and look at our list that we put together for you. And of course, if you have questions, you can write to me and Jacob. You can reach us both at the big one at kpcc.org. You can do this. Go by water. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Misha Youssef. It was sound designed by Arwen Nix with help from me. Special thanks to Megan Irwin and Donald Paz. This episode was edited by Megan Garvey. Our engineers are Valentina Rivera and Sean Corey Campbell. Our executive producer is Arwen Nix. Aaron Schrank, Emily Guerin, and Sharon McNary all contributed reporting to this episode.
Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com slash events. See you there. All seven states on the Colorado River may have to cut back water, but not everyone agrees on how. From Coloradans who blame others for the crisis. There continues to be a look upstream to solve a problem that we did not create. To farmers who may lose their livelihoods. We don't want to cut equal with everybody else. Will they reach a deal in time? Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts.